3: What is going on, everybody? John Middlecoff, 3 and Out podcast. That's me. That's the show live from quarantine. A lot of quarantining and a lot of chilling. And uh, I kind of cracked earlier this week. I, I can't watch another movie. I can't watch another television show. I started watching Super Bowls, and I watched the 0-2 Super Bowl, and it got me thinking about John Madden was calling the game, Peyton Manning turned down Monday Night Football, and I have some thoughts there. The Panthers and this whole Cam Newton saga, them signing Teddy Bridgewater, I, I want to like Matt Rule. I mean, I do, based on the, his opening press conference and just how good he was in college. I got some questions, you know. I, I'm not sure. I see what he's cooking up, and then we're gonna have a long Middlecoff mailbag. At John Middlecoff is my Instagram handle. DMs wide open. Slide on in. You're welcome to ask any questions. How we interact here on the show, and just fire away. I, I got I got so many questions. Be a large segment today. And, uh, and if you can, you know, I don't know where you are all over the country or hell, the world, you're quarantining, leave a little, uh, a little review on Apple or iTunes if you like the show on the, under the three and out, under the three and out podcast. I, I would, uh, I would greatly appreciate that. It's been, uh, been a lot of hanging out, a lot of eating. I, I've been eating, you know, I, I, naturally kind of work from home anyway, but, yeah, I, I, I've lost a little bit of my discipline in this in these quarantine times, but I'm staying positive. Keep your head up, and we'll just keep on swinging, baby. Stay quarantined, stay, uh, and let's let's stop this so we can get out of uh, the coronavirus for the love of God and uh, back to some semblance, you know, of reality. But until then, we'll just have to talk about football here on the podcast. Well, we do that anyway. And I I, I was watching the O2 Super Bowl with John Madden against his former team that had actually just traded him. I tweeted it out. I actually think the trade is one of the more underrated moves in sports history. It was only less than 20 years ago. A coach got traded for two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and $8 million. It's insane. And uh, I understand why John has a big ego. I mean, if I got traded for two first-rounders, two second-rounders, and $8 million, if you had inflation, it's probably like $15 million dollars. Diggs and Hopkins combined went for less than that. Think about that. So, I, I get it. But, John Madden was on the call. And I'm watching this game, and I was just kind of drawn in. Skinny, tan Al Michaels. The game was at Qualcomm in, in San Diego. It was sweet. And Madden was incredible. I mean, he's he's one of the great, true, if you think about it, TV stars in American history. I, I'm talking Seinfeld, Ted Danson with Cheers, Uh, Gandolfini with Sopranos like John Madden is easily the most famous famous uh, analyst in the history of sports definitely the highest paid up until Tony Romo I mean he was making eight million back in 92 the video game he was a rock star but when you watch it you go some sometimes football fans on like Twitter there's a reason like none of the analytical guys have massive media followings it's like To be a big television star talking about football, you got to kind of play to the person that doesn't know that much about football. When you get too niche and you start talking about schemes and plays, it it goes over people's head. Now, you got to dive into what you see, and Tony Romo's probably on the extreme end of that, but when you watch John Madden, you just went, this guy's awesome. He gave so much energy. He talked about whams and bams and hitting people in the mouth and shoving it down people's throats. It's like, yeah, th- this is football. And then it would go to clips of John Madden, and he was so excited. He was actually a little older at this time. I mean, he's still, he's still going strong. I don't know, strong, but he's still around now in 2020. But on his television career, I think it was down the home stretch. Al looked fantastic. But he was just a rock star. And really, there's only been two guys since that have even come close. Obviously, John Gruden. I wouldn't say he was John Madden, but he was damn close. He he was a made-for-TV just star. He he was incredible. Mainly, like John Madden, played to the casual NFL fan. The extreme NFL fan like me, or if you're listening, we're going to watch no matter what. Now, we're going to get angry at guys like Booger, but we're still watching Monday Night Football. The casual guy and definitely in Madden's time, was drawn in because of John Madden. John Gruden had a little bit of that to him. Tony Romo doesn't necessarily have that, I don't think. like People aren't coming to the game for Tony Romo. He's calling the top game on Sunday, besides Sunday night football. It's Jim Nance. It's the afternoon national game. Typically, over the last decade, it's been the Patriots, the Steelers, Mahomes. I mean, it's, it's the best game of the day. But Romo's really good. And Romo, like Gruden and like Madden, have this quality of, you know what, I want to hang with that guy, or damn, I think that guy's pretty damn cool, or he's just really likable. And that's one of the things you have to be when you're on television, to be a star, is to be likable. Madden had that to the nth degree, Gruden wasn't far behind, and clearly Tony Romo has it. Now, can he maintain it? He's only been doing it for a couple years. I think he can, because he's naturally just a pretty likable human being. And I, I stumbled upon, again, I can't watch any more television shows. I can't watch any more movies. I, I just want to watch some freaking sports. So I'm flipping around the channels, and I end up on Peyton's Places. And it's I had never seen a lot of Peyton's stuff that he's done with ESPN. But he, he did all these historical moments, I guess, for ESPN, these little, like, 15-minute segments, and they put it together in, like, an hour-long special. One of them was he got with, like, Terry Bradshaw – and some dudes for the Raiders and Franco Harris, and they reenacted the uh, the immaculate reception. And then he got with Joe Montana in Bill Walsh's old office in the museum at Levi's, and they talked about Walsh. And you just realize Peyton Manning is just a star. And when the camera's on, he's just great. And we all think back to when he hosted Saturday Night Live, how awesome it was when he did the scenes of throwing the footballs at the little kids. I mean, he's just great. He he really is just fantastic. And he turned down Monday Night Football. I think it was like on Monday of this week. So, this, I probably could have done this story on Tuesday, but we just had so much else going on. And it's a pretty big blow. You know, I, I think you never truly know till you get a guy on TV, but I think you know, right? Sometimes you think like Rex Ryan's going to be really good on TV. I watch Rex Ryan on TV. He's terrible. And Tony Romo, I, I didn't know he'd be this good. I mean, I, I thought it was a pretty big stretch. Jason Witten, hell, got the Monday Night game and was. It was like watching Paint dry by the second game. John Gruden had it from day one. I don't know if John Madden, quote unquote, had it from day one. I was really young, but clearly he was made for the job. Watching Peyton Manning just on TV doing non-football stuff, uh, even though it's related to football, just host a show, host different segments. He, he He just has that special you know what? like he he would have been absolutely incredible. And like Romo and like Madden and like Gruden, when he's in that star mode, even though he's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever, people like me and you have little to nothing in common with the guy. He was born into a family whose dad played in the NFL and was really famous. He was like the top recruit, went to Tennessee, was the number one, he's the blue chipper of blue chipper. But there's this... He's able to do this despite being really famous and over his life, right, when he branded forever. Uh, Colin always made fun of him because he picked these brands a little like Shaq. It's like, Peyton, there's no way you're driving a Honda Accord or, or, or Peyton. Come on, man. You're, you're not eating haagen Dodge, cookie and cream ice cream. Uh, Tom's much more picky, right, with the brands that he aligns with, Uggs, uh, like a Rolex or Net Jets, or it's just all super high end uh, brands. I, I was listening to this podcast about Greg Norman, the golfer. No Laying Up, if you're into golf, they have a great podcast. And they just did this oral history of Greg Norman. And the one thing they were talking about with Greg Norman is he was a lot like Tom Brady, where you see a lot of golfers. It's like NASCAR. And I, I don't know where I'd fall if I had the opportunity. If people started writing big checks, I, I probably would take it. But Greg Norman was very, very picky. It was all like Brady Elite stuff. Range Rover, Land Rover, Rolex, his own brand that he vertically integrated into his Reebok contract, and he kind of owns it like Jordan does the Jordan brand through Nike. Greg Norman did that. Where Peyton Manning was just more like, yeah, I'll do whatever. And it always worked. You, You would see him pitching these ads, Chicken Parm with Brad Paisley. It's like, God, I could hang out with Peyton. I really could. I used to hear stories when I was scouting Uh, from some buddies that worked for the Broncos, I remember being like, what's it like Peyton Manning in your building? They're like, oh my God, he is wearing everyone out. He had to need special video coordinators, and I mean wearing people out in a good way. Obviously, you're going to win, but he was intense. Like, he had things, he was like a coach. (laughs) I mean, he had certain cut-ups that he needed on certain days. He wasn't your typical player. Like, oh yeah, give me, you tell me what I need. Peyton knew what he needed. Peyton's like Belichick of players. And it it was really intense. So I started thinking, why would he turn this job down? Because he's clearly, it would be an enormous deal. It would be probably the biggest name. He, He would be right there in line with Madden, Gruden, Manning. Because whoever hired and made this, think about this. Whoever put Joe Tessitore... Uh, Witten and and then Booger, the Booger Mobile, and then this year when Witten bounced because he realized he can say whatever he wants. And Listen, I like Jason Witten. I've heard him several interviews over the years. He is a super high-level guy. Honestly, he his personality, he could be a senator. He could be a general manager of a team. He is he, he's 50 times more high-level than myself. I mean, when I listen to him, I'm jealous. I'm like, I I wish I was more like that guy. Not everyone's made for media. You got to just have... I I don't even know. I don't even know how to quantify it. You either got it or you don't. And Peyton has it. I think Peyton would be a star because of how much he likes football. I wonder, and a couple theories I have why he turns it down. One is I don't think Peyton Manning... Like, I can do media guy. I can just watch a game, jot down some notes, and just let it flow. I don't know if Peyton Manning's wired like that. I think going into every game... He would spend so much time. I bet he's loving life right now. He's worth all this money. He's able to focus his ideas on business. He's always at like the Denver Nuggets games with his kids. I think he has a pretty balanced life. And for probably 20 years, he had no balance in his life. It was football, 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 football. And then the offseason was family. But it was football, football. For those six months during the season... There wasn't like 50-50 football and then hanging out with the kids. It was like 99 football and then that one kind of his kids. Just because that's the way he operated. He had to. And I'm thinking watching him when he's recreating this video of trying to do the immaculate reception with Franco Harris, you realize, well, he wasn't a great athlete. He never had a great arm. You know, really, one of the points of difference of Peyton Manning was his mind and his work ethic. He outworked you and he outthought you. Because by no means was he the most physically gifted, rarely even relative to the other quarterback. Like Tom Brady has a much better arm than Peyton Manning. I mean, neither could move that well, but it, it was all upstairs. So I wonder if he's thinking, listen, if I do this and they're going to pay him $15, $16 million, I can't imagine the feeling of someone being like, hey, man, you want to do like uh, 15 Monday night football games? You, you can pick whoever you want to do the play-by-play with. We'll pay you $15 million so you do the math. You know, fifteen million. We'll sign you to a five year contract. You know, what's that? Seventy five million dollars. Payne's like, no, nah, no. Nah, you know, I'm I'm good. I like life. Imagine turning down like seventy five. Hell, maybe they offered him ten year contract. Tony Romo got a ten year contract. Who knows? And just saying, no, I, I I'm good. And I I just wonder if he can't. Half ass is the wrong word, but he's worried that he wouldn't be able to do it without kind of dedicating his life diving into both teams, diving into the schemes, approaching it like a player. And he knows he can't really turn it off. And that's really Gruden never turned it off, right? He was notorious for even when he did Monday Night Football for still going into that office at four in the morning, watching the tape. And he was able to kind of keep that lifestyle going in a media way, but still in a coaching way when he's made this transition back. I mean, I know people on the Raider staff that say, you better believe he's still coming in at 4 in the morning. They will tell you, I've never been around someone that I think likes football that much. It makes you question, as a football coach, do I like football enough? And I think Peyton Manning has some of that in him, where I, I just, I think that holds him back. And I also, my other theory would just be, he really, really wants to be a GM, an Elway you know, president, maybe even a partial owner like a Michael Jordan, but also pick the players. And he's just keeping his eye on the prize. He's able to do his own research. He's able to keep making money with his business ventures. And he's able to be very flexible. And the one thing Monday Night Football would not allow him to be able to do is be really flexible. Like there is a set schedule. You're flying in, you know, every Saturday or Friday, start meeting with the coaches. Clearly, his film prep would start. And he wouldn't have the ability maybe to make his investments, to try to grow his portfolio so he can come in as you know one of those kind of quote-unquote part-time or minority owners. I guess it wouldn't be part-time. It would be a uh, you know less than, obviously no one's going to give him a majority stake in a team and he probably doesn't have the money, but just give him 5%, 10% and make him the president of the team. And th- that would be my guess because he's now turned down Monday Night Football basically a couple times. And if he's not going to do it now, is he going to do it when he's in five, six years? And this, again, I would love for him to do it. I think he would be, I think he was made for it. He would be a superstar. It really speaks to his talents, right? He's a great quarterback. I think he could easily run a team, own a team. I think he'd immediately be one of the great broadcasters of all time. And it leaves us with ESPN with where do they go? You know, they want Drew Brees, Philip Rivers. Those guys are playing. I, I think I think money Night football's kind of screwed. This was it this wasn't just their Hail Mary. This was their only shot of being kind of felt like they were legitimate. Right now they're just going to band-aid it year to year till they hopefully they can get one of these guys. And the hard thing is even with Rivers and Breeze, you know, they're not going to need the money. These guys have accumulated hundreds of millions of dollars. When you factor in endorsements too, especially with Drew Breeze, you know, it's going to be it's going to be really difficult and even Drew Breeze I don't know how good Drew Brees would be. I mean, he's a great guy. He just gave, him and his wife gave $5 million to the Saints. Just a fantastic human being. I mean, a 10 out of 10 as a human. That doesn't necessarily make you a great media guy. Rivers, I think, would be pretty damn good. But I I just wonder if he would just jump right in to do TV. You know, especially if he plays a couple more years for the Colts. So it's just one of those, what could have been, because I I think Peyton Manning would have immediately been an all-timer. and they've had a week, in my opinion, that has made me go, what the hell are they doing? I've never been the biggest Cam Newton guy, though I've always respected his elite talent. He's one, he's a physical freak. He's had some moments in the league. His MVP year, he was fantastic. And when he's on, he can go to battle with any top quarterback in any team. He's, he's elite when he's on. Now, he's also off. You know, ball sale on him. Uh, these last couple years, shoulder, foot, major injury questions. But I will say this. He's accomplished a lot in the NFL, from being the number one pick to the MVP to being the starting quarterback for a team that made the playoffs countless times. He's on a, He was on a really cheap contract. If you're Matt Rule, and listen, when Matt Rule was hired, I watched his press conference, and it was like Nick Saban meets a church sermon. It was really impressive. It made you go, damn. I want to play for that guy. But then you take a step back and you go, you know, this guy doesn't have any NFL experience beside one year. Are we sure he knows what he's doing? Because he gets rid of all these older players, which are still functional players. If I was him, I just would have kept Cam Newton this year. If he's terrible and gets injured again, then I'll cut him after this year and we're bad and we go get Trevor Lawrence. What I would not do is sign Teddy Bridgewater because Teddy Bridgewater is good enough where you're going to win five to seven games, you are not going to be drafted in the top five, but he's not good enough, given your team, to take you to the playoffs. Now, I get it from a culture standpoint. Teddy's a super high-level guy. He's a really impressive individual. People love Teddy Bridgewater. He also has experience in the division as a backup, and when you're the backup, you're used to doing a lot of different things with scout team, with the coaching staff. You're a big part of the game plan, right? You're working hand-in-hand with Drew and Sean Payton, but you already have that in Cam Newton. He's been in this division for a decade, and I, I get Cam can wear you out. He can be a diva sometimes, but I actually think this was an easy one. When Chip Kelly got the job in Philadelphia, he kept Mike Vick for a season. You know why? Because you're like, why not? Because you might actually have something if he has gotten himself healthy. Now, you could tell me, well, the Panthers are going to know more about Cam's health than anyone, and I'd say that's true, but we've seen some videos. He was working out on Instagram with the shirt off. He looks fantastic. I mean, hell, Cam Newton, I, I saw Cam Newton working harder in one video on Instagram than I've seen Baker Mayfield in two years on social media. So he's, he's got him beat. But that rule is trying, well, one thing I thought they were going to do is kind of blow it up and then start over kind of next year. And that's not exactly what they're doing, especially with Teddy Bridgewater. I also thought the way they handled this Cam Newton situation, if you are going to kick him to the curb, which is essentially what they did, just cut the guy. He had no trade market. They should have known that. They'd been trying to trade him all offseason. No one's going to trade for him. Because the unknown of the injuries with the corona, it makes it impossible. Because if Cam had a full bill of health, I do think someone would have traded a six-round pick for him. He doesn't make very much money at relative to a starting quarterback. Plus, he's basically on a year-to-year contract. You can cut him whatever you want for nothing. It would have been an easy one. But at this point in time, no one was going to trade for him. Yet they dragged it out all week. Cam Newton, the Carolina Panthers, the majority of my life, have been irrelevant. They had the 2 or 3 season when they made the Super Bowl. For the majority of it, they just haven't really mattered. And Cam Newton is by far, maybe he's not the best player. That might be Luke Keekly, might be Julius Peppers, might be Cam, whatever. He's easily their most famous player. And he's easily the most important player in franchise history. He put that franchise on the map in a big, big way. Made him nationally relevant. Because he, what he is, at the end of the day, I don't know if he still is this guy, but he's a superstar. To me, the way you treat that guy on the way out is not start tweeting last week that you're thinking about trading him and you've given him the opportunity to reach out to other teams. Either trade him or not and cut him. But don't do the dog and pony show where you end up cutting him a week later. It's just kind of low level. And this is what happens when you got Matt Rule is from college who, guess what, happens in college. You can't cut anybody. Your team's your team. You got Dave Tepper, which is probably worried about the market tanking, and his new coach. It doesn't quite understand this, and I think David Tepper and Matt Rule, in a vacuum, are really high-level guys. But this is a situation dealing with a... You know, it's kind of a sensitive subject when you're cutting a franchise quarterback, someone who's taken you to places that and made you relevant to a level that you haven't typically been. Like, he does... He was owed... To me, and again, you're you're listening to someone that is not a huge Cam Newton individual. Like I, Cam Newton ain't John cost favorite player. He deserved way better than the way they treated him on the way out. It wasn't that difficult. Just keep it under wraps. If you can't trade him, cut him. Like you did Greg Olson. He probably should have been cut before the free agency opened. Now, I get it. It is a business, and they were hoping to trade him. But you should have had a feel he was going to be untradeable with his injuries. And... If you're trying to trade him, you're basically acknowledging you're healthy, and this is back to why didn't you just roll with him this year? You're going with Teddy Bridgewater. You're signing Robbie Anderson. It's like they're getting the whole Temple University alum. It's a little bit higher level with a signed P.J. Walker, the other guy from Temple that was in the XFL. It has a little bit of a Chip Kelly feel to it. It's like, are you just signing these guys because you know them? Aren't you the culture guy? Aren't you to send the tempo? Cam's been around Ron Rivera for nine years who's an old-school hard-ass, they got along fine. They figured it out. They had no issues. Like Again, if you think Cam is going to disrupt your locker room, I don't think that's really been his issue. Now, can he act like a diva sometimes on game day? Sure. But the one thing that never came out with Ron Rivera is, you know, this guy is a pain in my ass. That's not really how he felt, right? Now, they tried to be smarter about the way they ran him. They tried to change their offense to protect him a little more. Football things. But when you think culture, like, did they overvalue culture? Teddy Bridgewater, $60 million? Teddy Bridgewater's a good backup. Great kid. If he's your starting quarterback for 16 games or three straight years, you're in no man's land. And I mean no man's land. So right off the bat, is Matt Rule valuing character and people that he knows more than just talent? And talent, when I say, like, you can sign talented players that you don't know coaches do it all over the league all the time like Kyle Shanahan didn't know D Ford they traded for him came their starting defensive end like to be a good coach in this league you have to be somewhat uncomfortable being around guys that you don't know that much about obviously you have done research you have reports on them coming out of college but in free agency like i i i don't really get it and i don't think there really is a plan cuz now i think they're, they're probably thinking maybe we can be kind of good well you're not going to be kind of good Because the Saints are really good. Tampa is going to be better than you. And even the Falcons, now that they pulled the coaches' names out of a hat and started playing well at the end of the season, are just better than you too. You're going to be the worst team in that division. So if you're going to be the worst team in that division, you might as well just be really shitty and be in position to draft one of these top two quarterbacks. And not in a way where you're actively trying to tank right now, but it makes no sense. I I can't wrap my head around giving $60 million. I I Google that I never saw the official guaranteed number, but it doesn't matter. I mean, they're paying Teddy Bridgewater $20 million a year, and they're at least tied to him this season. And you might as well, if you were going to get rid of camp, I would have just rolled like Kyle Allen and signed Case Keenum. Teddy it, I just, I don't get it. And I think sometimes with Chip Kelly, these high-level guys, they get into this level that they're not used to, they're not comfortable with, And they can be overwhelmed and they can do stupid things and they can put themselves, they can actually take a step back before they ever take a step forward. And sometimes if you take several steps back, you're never able to make up for it. And Matt Rule, I get he got a six, seven year contract, but I don't know, man. I already, I don't have a a full on red flag, but I'm just, I'm watching that a little differently than I would have when he was originally hired. First, I just want to read uh, this tweet by Adam Schefter. It's just fantastic. Roger Goodell sent out a memo tonight. I'm recording this. It's like 6 o'clock Thursday night. The memo basically said, the draft is happening. The date is not being changed. So just proceed as normal, given the circumstances. In Roger Goodell's memo, this is what Schefter wrote, that the draft. he served a warning to those around the league that criticizes the league's stance. Goodell wrote, public discussion of issues relating to the draft serves no useful purpose and is grounds for disciplinary action. I love that. that. That, to me, reminds me a lot of David Stern. Uh, <clears throat> listen, we can all be critical of Roger Goodell over the years. He's done some stupid things. But that's, that's what the commissioner needs to say. Like, the Corona sucks for everybody. We're not changing the draft. Shut up about it and figure it out. Meanwhile, every five minutes, Adam Silver's leaking something to Woj. Manfred always screws up. Say what you want about Roger Goodell. The NFL, I mean, it's not all, I mean, he doesn't deserve, you know, full credit. But he's drawn a hard line in the sand. He's been a part of the greatest economic growth in league history. Football is now America's pastime, and he's led the pro league. So, like, the other two commissioners would die to be Roger Goodell right now. His league's the one that prints cash. The other ones, the NFL's taking on water by the day. I I call it one of our great economic bubbles right now in any industry. The NBA, if they don't play the rest of the season, I mean, you're going to see the league having to give out loans to some of their franchises. Even some of their bigger franchises, like the Houston Rockets, they're in shambles because their owner is deep in, one, he borrowed money against the team. He doesn't have any outside help because he privately owns everything. He's also in the casino business. They're all shut down. He's screwed. Then you have all the small markets that are in major trouble. So, listen, we've all talked a lot of shit about Roger Goodell over the years. Some of it was justified. But uh, you got to give him credit these last several years. And that saying, just shut your mouth. The draft is happening. We're doing it. And you know what the draft's going to do when they host it on the 23rd, 24th, and 25th? It'll be the highest rated draft in, in NFL history. It'll be, it might be one of the highest rated sports events in a long, long time. Just given how... Think about this. It's March 26th. We're about a month away from the draft. No sports till then. None. We don't have anything. We're just, They're all canceled for the foreseeable future. Nothing. We're just watching Netflix and, and HBO. And I, I'm losing my... I got Food Network on in the background. I can only watch so much news. Hear about the corona so many times. God, I just just want a game. I can't wait for the draft. We're obviously going to talk a lot about the draft over uh, over the next month. Thank God for the draft. Okay. Was wondering your thoughts on the Colts' offseason moves thus far. Obviously, on paper, they are better than last season. But is what they have done really the best plan for winning a Super Bowl as soon as possible? I just don't feel adding a geriatric Phillip Rivers, Buckner, and whatever other free agent or rookie they acquire this offseason is going to be near enough to make the Super Bowl. Are they delusional with this win-now strategy, or do you honestly think they have a shot at making the ship? To me, it seems like they will be the same mediocre fringe playoff position they are always in. Well, I think if Jacoby Brissett stays healthy last year, they are competitive to get the last wild card spot. When you look at their division, you go the Houston Texans, which feel like they win it all the time if the Colts don't win it, they got worse. They got rid of their best player traded. Clowney's long gone, Watts a year older, Watson seems unhappy, and they have no draft picks. So if it wasn't for the second rounder that came with David Johnson, they would really have nothing. Now, if David Johnson is good, it would help them out. But still, their receiving threat, Hopkins has averaged, I think like, he had 114 catches two years ago, and I think 104 last year, and he's just a dominant blue chip player. So they are worse. The Jaguars stink. I mean, they are awful. So if I'm the Colts, I go, the Texans, they still got Bill O'Brien, Deshaun Watson, they'll be feisty, but I don't view them as a playoff team. And then I got the Titans, who are really good. So can we beat the Titans? And Steve McNair and Eddie George ain't walking through the door. Well, maybe Eddie George is not Derrick Henry, but we'll see on Ryan Tannehill. Solid player, good player. I like Vrabel. I love John Robinson. Like, that team's solid, but I think they're them and the Colts are like the same thing. If Rivers is good, and he should be inside the Dome then you guys got a chance to be pretty good. Really that's simple. It's, if, if the quarterback plays high level and he can elevate people, now the weapons, I'd have to pull up the roster, but T.Y.'s got to stay healthy. Uh, you know they, They're going to have to draft a wide receiver. Uh, clearly the 13th pick, the, the 49ers are going to use that on a receiver. The, the Colts are going to have to hit on a second or third round wide receiver. And e- even sometimes when you draft a guy that, you know, in the second round, think about like Devontae Adams who's, you know, a top seven, eight wide receiver in the league, top six, seven, whatever. It took him a couple years, and he was a second-round pick. Now, Juju's another example of a second-round pick that was good right away, but it was a little easier. He had Antonio Brown, so he got to kind of ease into it, even though he was productive from the jump. Michael Thomas. Like, for every second-round pick that's sweet, some guys aren't as sweet. But they're going to need immediate, like, Debo, DK Metcalf with whoever they take in the second round. They're, they're going to be... They're going to be on that guy to. God, some of these questions are just so long. They're going to need that guy to produce. Why doesn't Cincy sign Cam and trade back for extra picks and take Tua? Tua, Cam, and a few extra high round linemen sounds like a better deal to me than just getting Burrow. Next year, they can move off Cam, hand it to Tua, sort of like Casey moved off Alex Smith. Think if you were Cincinnati and you picked up the phone and you called Miami and you said, We will take. We'll give you one. We want five. We want 18. And we want a second-round pick this year and a second-round pick next year. And like you said, Cam and Tua. Not a crazy idea at all. They're not going to do that. Mike Brown doesn't think like that. But I can get behind that. I actually think a flyer on Cam, just given, you know, what if he is healthy? It's a big if, but what if he is healthy? Like, I would not just write him off for his career being over. He's a physical freak. He's had a lot of time off. He only played in two games. Again, the Instagram video of him working out, he looks shredded. I, I'm thinking about when I finish recording going to get some ice cream or something. Again, social distancing. I, I will go into 7 Eleven, make sure I'm not touch anybody, but I'm kind of fiending something. Uh quarantine's got me eating kind of bad, but Clint Cam Newton looks good. I I don't hate that idea at all. But it, the problem is the Cincinnati Bengals are just never doing that. I listen to your three and out podcast all <clears throat> all the time. It's my first favorite podcast. I'm an Eagles fan. Eagles have interest in Yannick and Dockway, and he seems to be interested in them. He definitely wants out of Jacksonville. Eagles still need help with receiver. What do you think is the monster trade? Eagles trade Derek Barnett and their first round pick this year and next year in exchange for Yannick and Jacksonville's number nine overall pick this year? Yeah, that's not happening. This allows the Eagles to get Yannick plus CeeDee Lamb and J- or Jerry Judy. Yeah, I mean, that's just, that's not, that's Derek Barnett. This is not, this deal is already kind of off whack. I don't think the Eagles and Howie are in a position to mortgage like multiple first-round picks for Yannick, even though he's a really good player. I think he clearly wants enormous money. If you're the Eagles, I, I think you just use your pick and you, and you draft a wide receiver. You know, he- he- Howie's been in on these guys, but the one thing he consistently does is he doesn't overpay. And when he got instead of getting Byron Jones and giving him forty million through two years. He got Darius Slay for basically $30 million, so $10 million cheaper. A guy that's had more success, and he didn't have to trade that much. He traded a third and a fifth round pick. They need their first round pick. They need their second round pick. They they need the assets because they need to get younger. So I I don't think Howie and the Eagles are in a position to do a deal like that. Now next year, if Yannick becomes a free agent, I think they'd be all over signing him, and he'd be a perfect scheme fit. But I, I think you've seen... Howie's good at putting a price tag. Like, we will do this, but we won't go. Once I... This is the most I'm going to pay. And in fairness, like I don't know if I ever became a GM, if I would have stayed on that path, which who knows how long that would have taken me, if ever. I'm not that good at that. Because when I want something, I want something. And I think the best business deals come, a lot of times come with patience and knowing when to walk away. And it's one thing in business. Sometimes in football... You know, it's not like you're looking at it like a, a balance sheet. You're looking at it like I really just want that player. So while I didn't love the Rams, I thought they gave too much for Jalen Ramsey. I do get it. They just this is the best corner in the league. We get him in our scheme, and we'll just him and Aaron Donald will dominate. Who knows? Help me, me and you might have done that deal, but how he won't. If all the OTAs are canceled, do you think this might be the best preseason? Would, would you think coaches would play starters and get more reps on offensive and defense and work things out that they've done in OTAs? That's a hell of a question. I haven't thought that far. The problem will be, if there's no OTAs, there is going to be a huge premium on guys' discipline. You're going to have to work out on your own. And one problem is, a lot of gyms these guys go to, even in the offseason, are closed right now. Now, let's face it, when you're rich and famous, you can get access to stuff, but I still think it's going to be difficult. So the typical regimen, and these guys are used to working out with other players. Like, if you're an NFL player, you're going to work out with other other NFL players. I'm not even talking about the workouts that you do once the off season activities happen. I'm talking about right now, the month leading up to Phase 1. And then in the summer... These guys don't just go, Baker might, but most of the league doesn't just go sit on a beach and drink margaritas. They maintain that fitness so when they get back to training camp, they're ready to hit the ground running. I think it's going to be a challenge. You're gonna, you are gonna, you might need to spend the first couple weeks just working on personal fitness. You can't put guys in position if they haven't been able to work out. Now, we're a long ways away from knowing what's going to happen in the summer, but that, that's, a, that's a great question. I, I think we're just in such uncharted territory. I think everything would be on the table, but seeing guys play a ton in preseason, if guys aren't in shape, I, I don't think they're starters. I don't think guys, I don't think coaches would risk putting their better players in harm's way. It, it doesn't make sense, especially if you hadn't played football basically all year long, right? If the if the off season's wiped out, that means all these guys at ma- at max are just working one on one with a trainer, and who knows, like that's not your typical you know workout that these guys are doing because most of these offseason activities, the first month is just weightlifting. And usually, if whoever your fellow team, you usually read it, you're like, oh, it's, they got 99 participation percentage. Like most teams, every guy shows up. That's why when Odell doesn't show up or Tom Brady hasn't showed up, it's story. Because most teams, every player shows up. Why wouldn't you? You're going to give me a, I'm going to get an incentive bonus anyway for working out. I'm going to lift no matter what. I say it all the time. Players that skip OTAs, like I, I get, you got, and Tom Brady gets a little more latitude, but it's like you get you get like a two hundred thousand dollars bonus, and you're working out with your teammates anyway. This is a team sport. This isn't golf. This isn't tennis. Was a big Bucks fan growing up. Do you think that Trent Dilfer or Brad Johnson are good comparisons for Kirk Cousins? Both won Super Bowls because they had elite defenses, and they both, to my memory, were not super talented. I can't speak on Trent Dilfer. I'm not old enough to kind of remember how talented he was coming into the league. I mean, I'm a Fresno State guy. He clearly was a freak talent, big arm. He's talked about this on other podcasts. I don't know if he was mature enough, went to the wrong situation. By the time he started playing for the Buccaneers, he wasn't that talented. Brad Johnson watching that Super Bowl, I I think Kirk Cousins, at this point in time, is better than either one of those two guys in their peak. I, I, I think that's fair. Now, if you put Kirk Cousins on the O two Bucks or the O one Ravens, he, you could win a Super Bowl for sure. So yeah, is but is he the right comparison for that? Nah, I, I don't think he is. I think the right comparison for him is like a is like a Trent Green. Remember when he was with Kansas City when Dick Vermeil got there and they were scoring all those points. The physical characteristics might be a little different. I just mean a guy that puts up a lot of stats, but it's not going to beat anyone in the playoffs. You could argue Trent Green's probably a better player. Kirk Cousins is going to make a lot of money, though. Kirk Cousins is going to make a boatload of money for probably two career playoff wins. Uh, does Emmanuel Sanders going to the Saints make perfect sense for both sides? Seeing what Sean Payton has done with Taysom Hill this past year makes me go crazy with what can be done with Sanders added to the mix. Yeah, he's Emmanuel Sanders is a good player. I mean, the 49ers, I know for a fact, wanted him back. They just had a price point. They they just can't afford. And then once they trade Forrest Buckner for the 13th pick, they're just going to use that pick on a receiver. So Emmanuel Sanders is a legitimate starter on a Super Bowl team. He was he came to the Niners and had a huge impact. The 49ers did not make it to the Super Bowl last year, or would not have if Emmanuel doesn't show up. Now he is an older player. He doesn't really have an injury history. He just has one major injury in the Achilles. But I thought with the Niners, he looked fantastic. So you put him with Jared Cook, with Kamara, with Taysom Hill, with Michael Thomas, who I think some people forget, had like 195 catches last year. Like, seriously, he had 148 catches. He's a monster. So you put him with Cook and Breeze. Yeah, they they should. and he's really, the other thing about Emmanuel is he's really smart. Football smart. So the transition with no offseason, I I don't think it'll be that difficult. Who do you see the Niners taking at 13? If they stay at 13, I I think they go a couple routes. I think receiver is the thing that makes the most sense. It would be Ruggs, Judy. I don't think CeeDee Lamb makes that much sense for them because they already have Debo. Now you could argue just get Debo, CeeDee Lamb, and just start rocking and rolling with Kittle. But I, I also think defensive line, you can never have enough defensive linemen they just traded Buckner. If a sweet defensive lineman's there, I I wouldn't complain about drafting one, especially when you also have pick thirty-one and you can take a wide receiver there. So as the 49ers showed last year, they traded or they took Debo Samuel in the second round. He was one of their best players this year. The good thing with a draft, when you have depth at a position and you have multiple picks high in, in the first or second round, you can wait. You know, you don't need to force a need if you have a better player on your board you know rated like a corner. the Niners need a corner Richard's 31 32 years old and he's going into his last year of his contract the opposite corner is Emmanuel Mosley who's an undrafted free agent so I don't know enough about this corner draft I'm gonna have to text around but if there's a corner that justifies a 13th overall pick I, I think that 49ers could easily do that big fan of the podcast I'm a diehard Browns fan and I'm curious about their ineptitude. Their failures go back to the Learner family like a dozen different regimes. Were they all just bad groups or is it really easy as that bad of an oath or is it really just as easy as they have had a bad ownership? I remember Phil Savage telling me who's with the Jets now, who was the GM there. With the Learners, the Learners were just never around. They just didn't really care about football. Uh so I just think you had much more pressure on the GM. I mean, Phil will tell you he just hired the wrong coach. He hired Romeo Cornell. You can't win with Romeo Cornell. If you hire the right coach, maybe they win. Uh, this this new ownership in Jimmy Haslam, I, I think he's just too big of a micromanager. You know, you, you've had the opposite ends of the spectrum. The Learners just didn't give a shit at all and had nothing to do with anything. And then you have Jimmy Haslam that just has his hands in like the practice squad. There's got to be a balance. And I think the best organizations, you know, the the one I have that I've worked for, the Eagles, I think Jeffrey Lurie is a great balance. He knows what's going on in the draft, but he's not telling you who to draft. He knows what's going on in free agency, but he's not telling you who to sign. And I see it here with the Niners, like, listen, Jed, the debacle of Jim Harbaugh, that, that was bad. And that was really ugly. But I, I defend Jed in the sense of he just kind of stays out of their way. But whatever they need, he gives them. And I think that's good. Owners have that all around the league. Look at the teams that consistently win. I think Robert Kraft is a good balance. I think the dude in Minnesota does a good job. Uh, I think uh, you know Jerry's kind of unique. Clearly, Paul Allen with Seattle, whatever they needed with Pete Carroll with John Schneider, he he's around or he was. I mean, before he passed away, but he's not. You can't have an owner telling you who to sign. And I think some of these owners do that. The Steelers. I mean, actually, most of the ownership in the NFL is pretty high level. Big Falcons fan. With all the attention Tampa is getting and is justified, but everyone's saying it's a two-team race between them and the Saints. My question, do you think the Falcons can make it a three-team race or even with Carolina, the NFC South could be far deeper? Yeah, I don't think Carolina's going to be very good. My question on the Falcons is, let's see. they I'm trying to think of some of their moves. So they they let Austin Hooper walk, and they get Hayden Hurst. So maybe that becomes a wash. I mean, Austin Hooper's probably a better player. They still got Julio. They still got Calvin Ridley. They got Matty Ice. They signed Todd Gurley, which who knows. Their defense was much better in the second half. And for the most part, last year, they scored points early in the season. It was they couldn't stop anybody because their defense was atrocious. They do have talent on the team. Uh, Just thinking of their roster, they don't have a great pass rusher. They do have team speed in their secondary. Didn't they release Desmond Trufant? Uh, the middle linebacker they've had for a while, Deion Jones, a good player. Yeah, I mean, I would say Tampa. I have more faith. I think Bruce Arians is a better coach than Dan Quinn. That to me is a huge element. Let's even say Matty Ice and Matt and Tom Brady in 2020 are the same player. I, I just I have more faith in Bruce Arians than I do Dan Quinn. That being said, like Dan Quinn's had successful teams, had playoff teams. So I, yeah, I, I I don't think we can just discount the Falcons as being some you know slap team next year, like a six seven win team. I think if if it all goes right, they can win 9-10 games. Obviously need a good draft. I've been listening to your podcast since the first time it showed up on the Herd feed. I wish you were the talent that replaces coward when he was on vacation. Back a few months ago, I remember you mentioning you growing up and followed the teams you could watch. I was born in Puerto Rico. I started to follow sports in the late 70s. The game of the week always was the Yankees and cable TV, the Boston feed. So I became a Yankees, Boston Celtics, and the San Francisco 49ers fans. Those were my teams. Uh, so now on TV all I had is the New York market funny now I'm a Yankees Knicks and New York Giants fan to finish I agree with you that kids follow players and not teams so this was just a nice little note appreciate it yeah I I, I do think it depends where you live if you live in certain if you grow up in New York you're going to grow up for the New York teams if you grew up in the Bay Area or LA you're going to be a Dodger Laker fan or a Niner Warrior fan to me, if you grew up in certain areas that like North Dakota, you might just gravitate to who's winning. You know, kids, basketball, I think is a little more national. I mean, I grew up I was born in eighty four. A lot of people were getting on me because they sell parcels, one with the same quarterback twice. People were like Jeff Hostetler, he, he he Phil Sims got hurt. It's like, okay, guys, I, I'm sorry. Some of my eighties history is a little hit or miss. I I I feel confident talking anything nineties forward. So I, I you know, I try to expand. I'm not Belichick historian here, but you're right. He won with two quarterbacks. You know, I'm, I'm 35, not 60. My, my bad. I got a lot of people on me. Middle cough. Parcells won with two different quarterbacks. Your theory's wrong. I'm like, okay, I get it. Allstate
0: wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions.
1: L-A-S-I-K
3: Also a huge Eagles fan. I love the interview with Howie. I was curious if you think realistically going to take in the first round of the draft. I know the most early mocks have the Eagles taking Henry Ruggs, but after his 40 at the Combine, I'm sure he won't be available. I got a quick hot take. Henry Ruggs goes in the top 10. Do you think the Eagles will take the next best wide receiver, Justin Jefferson, or best player available? Most mocks are showing Jefferson, but his situation reminds me a lot of taking Nelson Aguilar late in the first. Yes, I think Jefferson is a better player than Nelson But I don't like the idea of taking a fourth-best wide receiver that early when the draft is so deep at wide receiver. Maybe they can get a middle linebacker, O-line, D-line. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I think you can never with them. Linebacker has to be an option. Maybe Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. They need more team speed at linebacker. They have a million defensive line, right? Malik Jackson's coming back. They just signed the guy from Pittsburgh. Fletcher's still there. They have Derek Barnett. Their offensive line, they drafted the kid from Washington State last year who's taken over for Jason Peters. I don't necessarily agree with taking the fourth best wide receiver in a draft, even if it's a deep wide receiver draft. Because if if it's a good wide receiver draft, think about the draft. It was Mike Evans' draft. It was like Mike Evans, Brandon Cooks, Odell Beckham Jr., I think DeAndre Hopkins. That might have been the year before. But there they were like four or five really good wide receivers in that draft. And the fourth guy, like, it's fine. Like, if the fourth guy is good, the fourth guy's good. And, and sometimes on your board, the fourth wide receiver off the board is the second guy off your board. But the, I, I would I would say historically the Eagles have never taken a middle linebacker that high. Uh, defensive line, offensive line, they always believe in that. And, and wide receiver, they've had Jeremy Macklin. Nelson didn't, was not that great. Deshaun was an early second-round pick. I, I just, and you asked also, do you think there's any chance for Yannick? I I, I don't really think that's an option. we got a lot of questions here. Jeez, Louise. Okay, this might be the last one. We're almost at 50 minutes. Love the pod and per- perfectly timed F-bombs. Keeping me sane while being stuck in uh, the firehouse. With the Niners being so close to winning it all, why not just keep Buckner and tag and trade him next year? I know they got great value for him and would probably get less next year, but with all the injuries we had, we're eight minutes away from number six. Why not just let it roll, short window we do have, especially with the projected cap going up. Also, what are your thoughts on the Niners bringing in Sue? Solid against the run. Um, Well, Sue, some of these are old. Sue obviously re-signed with Tampa. I I think the thing is, anytime you get a player – on any on any one of your teams, and I think Belichick's a good example of this. And you get to a position you're like I and Brandon Cooks probably a bad example because he traded him for a first round pick, but you get a guy. Buckter was beloved, and he's a really really good player. To me, he's like a B plus, A minus player. He's not an A A plus. If Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald are A pluses. If, like, Fletcher Cox is an A, he, he, in, in his peak, maybe Fletcher's not anymore. He's not on that level. Chris Jones, probably an A, A-. minus. He's a tick below Chris Jones. But if you go, I, you know, I don't feel comfortable giving this guy huge money. And someone offers you pick 13, I'm with you if the best option you could have got was, like, pick 28. Because you're like, well, I'm not going to get a player as good as DeForest Buckner with 28. But if I can get pick 13 in a draft that's freaking loaded, And three quarterbacks are going to go in the top 10, meaning if I'm at 13, I'm going to get the 10th best non-quarterback. And if Jordan Love somehow goes in that area, I might get the 9th best non-quarterback. Also, you can always trade back off 13 to like 20 to gain like multiple second-round picks. It gives you so many options. They didn't have any picks. And one thing the 49ers are going to need is some cheap labor because next year they're going to have to pay Fred Warner, probably extend Richard Sherman. Uh, They just paid Eric Armstead. They got to pay George Kittle. They're going to need to buy a couple players in free agency. They already don't have that much cap space. I, I, I think it was as simple as they just... Sometimes, w- what did uh, Don Corleone say once upon... Or Vito Corleone say once upon... I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. You get you get offered the 13th pick. Like How many non-quarterbacks would you not trade for the 13th pick? Kittle, uh, Michael Thomas, Aaron Donald, Khalil Mack you start going around the league non-quarterbacks it's a short list you know if you told me trying to think of a good player on a good team let's think of a team in the uh, in the AFC Championship who's the Titans best player you trade Derrick Henry in a heartbeat for pick 13 Uh, the Chiefs obviously wouldn't uh, non-quarterback they trade Kelsey for the 13th pick at this point in time I mean Kelsey's 28 years old you could turn that now, maybe just because they're in this window to try to win some Super Bowls. The Packers, w- would they trade Devontae for the 13th pick? Probably not. Any other player? Zadarius, gone for the 13th pick. And I love Zadarius Smith. But it just the 13th pick is a very, very powerful pick. And I, I think it would just make any team in the league, for basically any one of their non-quarterbacks, beside maybe 15, 20 players in the league, that would make you think about it. Appreciate everyone listening. Stay safe. Stay inside, stay quarantined, flatten the curve so we can get back to life. And uh, keep your head up, enjoy life, enjoy the weekend, and uh, stay safe. God bless.